Welcome to Sidewalk Talk. I'm Steve Fortunato. Where are all of our heart attacks? That's what many emergency room doctors have been asking since the start of the pandemic. Emergency room patient counts are way down across the country. When to go to the ER and when not to go? That question and what to do about student loan debt answered by an ER doc on this episode of Sidewalk Talk. I'm joined by Dr. Andrew Tisser. He is a board-certified emergency physician and the medical director at Rochester Regional Health Urgent Care in Batavia. He's also an emergency room doctor at United Memorial Medical Center in Batavia. Doc is on the front lines. He is, uh, he is a health care hero. We, we thank you for what you do, sir, and, and welcome to the program. Hey, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. How's it going? It's going, <laughs> you know, um, trying times these last couple of months for sure, but, uh, but we're doing well. We're doing well. How, how are you uh, personally doing? You're, you're a young guy. Um, you're, you know, you have a, a wife to, to, uh, to worry about too. And, and you're, you're putting yourself out there. Uh, has, has it been somewhat nerve wracking? Yes. <laughs> um, to tell you, I'm not scared. I, I would lie. Um, thankfully I, I work for a great organization. I'm very happy with how they prepared and, um, dealt with the crisis. So, uh, we have that to look forward to. I, I mean, I'm most scared for my colleagues and friends living down in New York city and New Jersey, cause, uh, I went to medical school on long Island. So a lot of my friends live down there. And, um, uh, so I'm really worried for them, but yeah, it's, it's nerve wracking, Steve, for sure. Well, so um, now in Batavia, yeah, obviously it's it's not New York City. What what are you seeing there? So we've seen uh, we've seen more cases over the last few weeks for sure. Um, some sick people, but as a whole, we have not seen any kind of surge or uh, real huge amount of of COVID patients. We've been seeing a lot less patients in general for non-COVID type issues. Uh, volumes have been down across the board for because people are staying home that actually is concerning people are staying home when maybe they shouldn't be yeah you know as i'm a, you know i'm a member of a number of different emergency room kind of groups across the country and everyone's saying it so like where are our heart attacks where are our strokes like they don't just go away because of the virus that we have not been seeing our, our usual bread and butter emergencies. So uh, it's very, it is very concerning. I know there've been some reports out of uh, the UK uh, that some people are staying home and having much worse outcomes because they're, you know, I don't want to go to that hospital with that COVID, you know? Yeah. So your advice? Well, I advise, my advice is uh, to be smart. You know, if uh, I think chest pain should not be taken lightly really ever. Um, Of course, you know, could it be gas or a panic attack or something? Yeah, but um, I would uh, use your normal senses on when, when to come to the emergency department. We appreciate people staying home. We don't want them there if they don't need to be there. But um, it's, uh, you know, if, if you're having concerning symptoms, we're, we're there for you and we're taking every precaution. Well, um, you guys in, in Batavia with the PPE, the personal uh, protection equipment, are, are, are you getting what you need? Yeah, good question. Uh, we are. So um, 
I'm sitting at a glass table, but I'll knock on wood for this one. Uh, we have been uh, fortunate to to have the supplies that we've needed system-wide and, and at my hospital, so I, I don't have any complaints. Uh, what are you hearing from, and you said you went to medical school on Long Island. Um, there's obviously been, been issues down there. What are you hearing from your friends and your, your, your colleagues down there in New York City and Long Island? Nothing good. Um, my uh, one friend who is an in, uh, intensive care doctor in New Jersey uh, posted on Facebook that we are losing against COVID. Uh, this was last week, I believe. Um, their hospitals are full with almost entirely COVID patients. Um, they, uh, these patients are very ill. Their, uh, their resources are tapped. I know we've seen a lot of stories about nurses wearing garbage bags and things of that nature. And a lot of that is not untrue. Of course, there are some facilities that are that are doing well, but as a whole, the system is very overburdened down there still. So uh, we won't get into the blame game, uh, but you know, federally, state, local, we weren't prepared for a pandemic, were we? No, and that's um, something that really needs to come out of this is increasing the stockpile at both the regional, national, and federal level um, because, I mean, this is, so this is bound to happen again in somewhat different capacity and we need to be prepared. I think we will be. I think we're going to learn from this. It's, that's, that's, I hope so. And we've always, we, we have had a history in this country of, of uh, learning, but sometimes forgetting, but I, I think we'll be, uh, we'll be much more prepared. How, how, you know, all of our businesses, our business, I'm, I, I, I'm part of a, a marketing team. You know, we, we create brands and uh, advertising for small businesses. So, our business is, is shifting permanently. Uh, our, a lot of our clients, small businesses. So it, it's, it's, it's a different world. Uh, how about in uh, emergency medicine? How, how do you see it changing? Besides, I know, uh, you know, the count is down right now, but um, how will your uh, services adjust in the future? Will, will, will emergency health uh, rely on telehealth to get started? What, what's, what's going to happen? Um, you know, I think, I think it'll be a downstream effect. You know, the emergency room is always there for, for everyone when it's needed. I think there's a much larger access to care in the primary care space right now due to telehealth. Um, the, I think one of the primary movers of people not coming in as well is that our system has rapidly expanded its telehealth program uh, for primary care and people have been, uh, they've, heavily been advertising just you know just call this number and we'll get you seen via telehealth visit so people have been able to get the services that they need a lot of our clientele come to the emergency department because they have no other options because they can't get seen by their primary doctor so i think downstream that'll affect me emergency services over telehealth i don't know that that's really possible um maybe some of the you know the lower acuity sniffles and things can definitely be handled. But um, I think that, yeah, I think access to care in this country, hopefully, if the reimbursements continue as they are, especially specialty care out in rural areas, you're not going to get a, a super subspecialist, for, for, for example. Um, and if they can do a, a, a telehealth visit, then, then people can be seen. So uh, looking for a piece of advice to people that they could protect themselves, uh, 
pre-pandemic, a couple of years ago, the flu was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom happened to be in the hospital. My, uh, my sister and I had to go in th- through the emergency room and it looked like a war room. <laughs> I mean, I put the mask on both of us uh, uh, within uh, a few days were down. I was out for two weeks with the flu uh, and it was a, it was a bad case of the flu. Um, sure. You know, I'm like, so, you know, my mom is elderly, so she does have frequent visits, unfortunately, to the hospital. Uh, and I've been, I freak out every time I have to go in the emergency room. How can someone better protect themselves uh, if they, if they're in a situation where they have to be in an emergency room? Sure. I, I think, I think that people are more conscious now about hand washing and hand sanitizing and things like that. I, I think masks are always a great idea, uh, staying away from people if possible, but you don't realize how many surfaces you touch and how many times you touch your face until it becomes an issue where you need to think about that. I mean, think about the beginning of this pandemic when we were told not to touch our face and wash our hands all the time. You see all these things online about, wow, I didn't, I had no idea how many times I touched my face or just the different surfaces you touch. I mean, we, we try our very best in the hospital to keep everything sanitized, but with just the volume of people coming through and all the different services. So wash your hands, stay away from people, mask up if possible. Um, Those are just, you know, simple things, but they go a really long way. Doesn't it, I mean, concern you personally? I mean, you're dealing with, you know, you must have a great immune system, all of you guys. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, you know, we, we're certainly exposed to all kinds of stuff all the time. But um, it's, uh, yeah, it's concerning. But uh, again, that's that's the job that I decided upon. And that's the job I'm going to work with. Um, again, I have a great organization that supports me. But uh, I can't say I'd have the same outlook if I didn't. So you, you tell me that's the job, that's the career you chose. Why did you? Well, I didn't like anything else. <laughs> no, um, I guess the question is it, why did I choose medicine or why did I choose my specialty? Uh, uh, both. Okay. Um, so in college, I uh, was a volunteer fireman and uh, EMT um, out in Geneseo locally. And I continued that in my summers for uh, paid ambulance uh, service down in New York City. Um, and I uh, really, you know, I loved working on the ambulance and I loved the uh, fire department, but I always wanted a little bit more. And we would drop the patients off at the ER and I'd be, I'd want to be back there with the docs taking care of people. Uh, so I decided to pursue medicine. I tried to like every other specialty because I thought, you know, it's too obvious uh, fireman going into emergency medicine, but I didn't like anything as much. Um, I like to joke that we're the most interesting 20 minutes of every other specialty. So uh, that's, it's procedural. You get to see a lot of things, um, uh, see all kinds of different presentations, know a little bit about every aspect of medicine, kids, adults, pregnant people. So a little bit of everything. Advice for maybe a young adult, maybe he or she's in high school and and thinking about maybe they have the same interest as you, you know, what, what advice do you, do you have for them moving forward? I'd say to think critically, uh, the state of medicine right now is, um, is challenging. And, um, I don't think a 
20 year old truly grasps the length of training, uh, the difficulty and the financial ramifications of uh, going into 400 to $500,000 of debt um, as it stands. So um, I think there, there are certainly other options in the healthcare field if you don't want to take that path. I think being a doctor is, is a blessing and a privilege uh, and it's a great career, but um, four years of college, four years of medical school, three to seven years of residency training and more if you're going to become a subspecialist. Uh, so think carefully about that. I know physician assistant is, an, is another really great career that's uh, a much less arduous path and still makes a great living and gets to do all kinds of fun stuff. Um, so that's another thing to consider, but I, I will never dissuade someone from being a physician. I just want people to have all the facts. Well, one of the facts you mentioned is, is debt. Um, and, and maybe, and I know you're one of, uh, numerous, uh, uh, professionals helped draft a proposal. It's known as COVID-19 pandemic physician protection act. Tell me about it. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so it, I want to start off by it, it is called the Physician Protection Act because it was drafted by physicians. It applies to all healthcare workers, and that's a common misconception about it. Uh, the other thing is that it, this is a 14-page document that does not just focus on debt. That is a tiny little section. Gotcha. <laughs> but um, So it's a proposal to Congress. It was submitted to the Office of the Speaker of the House a number of weeks ago now uh, by a group of grassroots physicians, a total of about 100,000 of us or so uh, in the group um, that focuses on some of the issues we're dealing with right now, including uh, personal protective equipment, the establishment of a COVID-19 fund uh, likened to the 9-11 fund, which would provide uh, health-related expenses, life and disability insurance for those affected by COVID-19, uh, malpractice reform, and the Good Samaritan standard to be applied to uh, all, us, all of us taking care of patients right now, especially those not practicing in their normal scope, and um, caps on malpractice-type uh, judgments. There are some other issues in there about uh, keeping private practices solvent, as well as uh, as well as a section on uh, student loan debt and forgiveness. One proposal was to forgive all uh, healthcare workers remaining student debt. Uh, another proposal was a zero percent interest for all student debt. Uh, another was tax a one time tax credit. So there are a lot of options in there, but uh, the the mammoth student debt that we're dealing with right now, uh, I think, is has been an issue for a while, and it's not just doctors. Uh, I know a nurse that's got two hundred forty thousand dollars of debt, um, which is absurd at seven percent interest rates. So uh, that's just one small section of the bill, but something that I'm personally passionate about. Uh, and uh, yeah, so the. I can send you a link with a copy to the full document and, and the petition uh, right now, but uh, it's, it's really just asking for protection and support from our uh, federal government for healthcare workers as a whole. You have the link on your, I believe it's on your LinkedIn page, isn't it? If yeah, not, yeah. Put it there. Be, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. um, right. There's a petition and then there's also the actual full document. So where, where does it stand now? I mean, has anyone acknowledged that they received it and reviewed it? Yeah, we have some congressional support from a number of uh, different leaders right now, as I think certain people support different parts of the bill. So um, 
we're waiting on more updates as to what's going on, but they, they have received it. They have reviewed it. We have some support uh, at, with different members of Congress. So we're, we're waiting to see what happens. All right. So devil's advocate, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, sure. Obviously no one's, I think any, everyone is, uh, is thankful for all of you guys for, for doing what you're doing. And that's pre pandemic too. Uh, you know, um, you, you gotta be special persons to, to do this kind of work. Uh, and right now it's, it's even, it's obviously even more special and more important. Um, but a lot of people will say, well, okay, um, that's a lot of debt, but didn't you know that? Didn't you sign up for that? Or are you, and maybe I can help you I, I, from what I, from what I heard from you, you're saying yes, but I was 18, 19 years old. Maybe I don't know what that means when you're that age. And that's not just for your profession. It's for a lot of people that are, that are in debt. Is that what you're saying? That's my question. So there's, there's a few parts to that. I think, I think it is difficult to grasp as a 19, 20 year old, what that will do um, to kind of the rest of your adult financial life. I think um, as well, there is some trickery that goes on with some of these professional schools. For example, uh, they tell you the average indebtedness of the class is $200,000, but they don't tell you that half the class takes out no loans. So the people that take out loans are actually $400,000 in debt. Um, there's, they also tell you the principal that is, is borrowed, not to mention the 7% interest rate. So when you graduate with $280,000, $300,000 of debt and do a three-year residency where interest is accumulating, uh, but you're making $50,000 a year and unable to pay that debt, you end up with uh, a student debt that's almost four to $500,000 when you're done with your training. So no one tells you that. I think the, uh, you know, I, I think when all is said and done, what I really advocate for is professional school tuition reform and a cap on those interest rates, because uh, there's no reason that we should be charging people that want to be doctors $60,000 a year to go to school at 8%. I think that's, uh, that's absurd. So there's, yeah, there's a few issues here. So what you're saying is you're, you're, you're actually trying to think of solutions for this uh, for the future as well, right? Yeah. I, you know, if I never had any of my debt touched, but medical school was free from now on, or at least put at 0% interest rate, I'd be ecstatic. You know, I, I don't understand this notion of, well, I didn't get it. So shouldn't you, you know, that's how we got into a lot of messes. That's why our residency training is, is so malignant at some places because they did it. So should you, um, it, it, it can be likened to wanting better for your children. So I think, uh, there needs to be a cap on medical school tuition. And I think interest rates need to be as close to zero as possible. I think the federal government is making a lot of money off of uh, impressionable young minds. Well, good luck with that. Uh, will you be keeping us up to date? Uh, like how will we learn more as, as time goes on? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty active on uh, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So um, I can give you all those links and handles and uh, you can follow me uh, as this kind of progresses a bit. Well, we're talking with Dr. Andrew Tisser. He is a board certified emergency physician, medical director at Rochester Regional Health Urgent Care in Batavia and an ER doctor uh, at United Memorial Center in Batavia as well. And um, not many docs that I know of have a, looks like a condenser, a, a professional microphone, uh, because this is a doc that's, that's obviously an important, plays an important role in our society as an ER doctor, but he also has his own podcast. 
Uh, it's called Talk Talk to Me Doc. You're 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 um, you're also very heavily involved in social media, as you mentioned. So talk to me, Doc. Tell me about your uh, tell me about your podcast. Sure. So the initial focus of the show was to delve into team-based communication within healthcare. So uh, we talk a lot about how docs and nurses communicate with the patients, but we don't really talk about how we communicate with our with each other. Um, so that was the initial goal of the show. And it has since evolved to really start talking about the healthcare worker experience, uh, burnout, uh, different issues in that regard. I also have a special focus on early career physicians. I am one, and I think uh, we're faced with certain uh, challenges that some of our older counterparts are not. Um, so it's it's really about the healthcare worker experience, and uh, it's an interview-based show. Um, we've interviewed lab technicians, you know, doctors, nurses, all kinds of different people in healthcare. Um, and uh, yeah, so talk to me, Doc. Um, you could check it out on any major platform. Okay. Again, his name is Dr. Andrew Tisser. That's T-I-S-S-E-R. His podcast is Talk to Me, Doc. What other handles do we know about? What do we need uh, to know about here? <laughs> well, Twitter is uh, at Talk to Me, Doc, and it's Talk, the number two, me, D-O-C. Um, I'm on LinkedIn at uh, Andrew Tisser Do, as well as Facebook as uh, just Andrew Tisser, and uh, there is a Talk to Me Doc page as well on Facebook. Not too active on Instagram. I don't really understand how to use it that well. You mean you're not a TikTok guy yet? Not yet. You know, there's some there's some really spectacular TikTokers out there, but uh, I got to work on my dance moves. Yeah, I am. Uh... I've, I've researched it. I'm interviewing a, uh, I don't know what you would call it, a, a TikTok star uh, in the next, uh, you know, I don't remember. In the next week, couple of weeks, I have an interview with one. And I, I just, I don't understand TikTok. I can't, maybe I'm just never going to be in the demo and I'm never going to understand it. But I'm struggling and I'm really looking forward to talking to her so I can, so I can get better educated and understand it because there's a lot of different channels and uh, just managing one channel is, is hard enough, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I'll, I'll be sure to check out that episode because I don't get it either. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Dr. Andrew Tisser, thanks again uh, for your time and, and thank you for your service. Appreciate what you do and, and continue to uh, continued good health and, uh, and good luck. Uh, and, and thanks for helping us get through this COVID-19 pandemic. Sure. Thank you, Steve. Stay safe. You too, Doc. All right, you can download uh, all of, of our uh, Sidewalk Talk podcasts on your channel of choice. You can also visit our website if you'd like to watch any of the podcasts, shovelthesidewalk.com. If you or someone you know has a story that you think needs to be shared that will help inspire or inform or educate or even entertain uh, as we all try to get through this, uh, this pandemic, let us know. There's a simple form you can uh, fill out and we'll get back to you and, and we'll conduct that uh, interview and, and, and put, them on the, uh, put that story on the podcast. Thanks again for listening, watching, participating. I'm Steve Fortunato and this has been Sidewalk Talk.